0: Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring Him pleasure. We make no claim to perfection in either our actions or assumptions. That's why we call them musings. Don't take our word for it. Do your own research and ask the Spirit for help. We invite you to interact with us, question our conclusions, and share your own ideas with us, which might well be better than some of ours. In the meantime, happy musing. And the passage that I'm referring to today makes some promises. And I thought maybe I would ask you if you want any of these things. If you don't want them, then I think we have some extra bagels in the spotlight room. You can go have some bag because if you don't want these things, then there's no sense in in studying the scripture with us. But I think you do. That's why you're here. Um, You can escape the corruption in the world. That's what this passage is going to promise us. You can escape the corruption in the world. It, uh, It also promises us you can be effective and productive. Uh, in your faith. Anybody want to be effective and productive in your faith? How many of you want to be effective? Not just have the faith, but be effective in it. You can be sure to never fall. It says that. Not necessarily that you won't ever fall down. The righteous man falls seven times and rises up again, but you don't necessarily have to fall off the ship. You know what I mean? And you can receive a lavish welcome into heaven. Doesn't that sound good? Does that sound good to you? I want a, I'm not looking for accolades. I just want the lavishness all to go to the glory of God, and I want to cast my crown at His feet. But I I don't want like you know uh, no welcome is what I'm saying. So if you want these things, we're going to have to take the advice of a guy that I know of, who um who was a Christian. This guy his his uh, early Christian life he was it was just rocky and hard and uh, well he was passionate about Jesus, but he was. He was kind of a mess, actually. He was arrogant as a Christian. He, his, par, his problem wasn't lack of zeal because he had lots of zeal. But he was arrogant. Uh, he was vacillating. He was uh, kind of mouthy. <laughs> he didn't know when to turn it off. He, he, I mean, he, he was judgmental. He, he was just unfinished, bottom line. But then as he began to mature, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. This guy did. And he began to understand uh, his place in the universe, his self-addiction. That's the worst kind of addiction, by the way, (laughs) addicted to self. His self-addiction, he started to wean himself away from self being the the center of the universe. Turned around and started to love people and care about people. And uh, started giving advice to people on how to live the Christian life better and to avoid some of the pitfalls that he had uh, fallen into. In fact, he specifically, I should say, called to uh, strengthen his brothers. And so he wrote some books. His books are about growth. Most of them are about Christian growth. He said stuff like, God's, this, this guy says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. That's a powerful statement. That God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he goes on to say that we have, that God has given us these, his very great and precious promises. How many of you are gr- glad for the great and precious promises of God? Yeah, And that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? Participate in the divine nature. Actually, it, it has to do with fellowshipping with God in such a way that his nature is, beginning, is, is in you and is beginning to express itself more and more so that you can escape the corruption in this world um, that's caused by evil desires. He goes on then to say, if you want that, then what you have to have, make every effort, he goes on to say, to... Uh, add to your faith goodness. And to, these are the Christian attitudes we'll talk about today. He said, add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Then he says, If you have these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But if you don't, if anybody doesn't have these, he says, he's uh, nearsighted and blind. And has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. But he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Be sure that you, you know God and make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, he says, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And who are we talking about? Amen. Talking about Peter. So if you want to turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, there's a, uh, a half-sheet outline inside your bulletin there. We'll just talk a, a little bit about these verses and these attitudes. Um, Peter uniquely qualified to tell us about not falling because he fell a lot. I kind of picture it this way. Have you ever climbed a sand dune, especially a, 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 a steep one? <laughs> and if you're climbing this steep sand dune, you're either going forward and up and if you're, or you're going down. You can't, like, stay put, you know. And so as a, as a follower of Jesus, I'm finding that if I don't grow better, I seem to grow worse. I can't just kind of stay put like riding a bike. I'm not one of those guys that can stand stand on the pedals on their bike and just wait for the, the light to change. I have to either be going forward or I'm down. So why don't we take a look at these actitudes. Can you pick out the actitudes there in the middle? What do we get for having these actitudes? Do you see something in that passage that tells us what we get for having them? It'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Uh huh. Something else? You escape the corruption of this world. Something else later in the passage? You're never going to fall and what? And you receive a rich welcome into heaven, see? So we escape the corruption in this world. Uh, Not necessarily escape the world. (laughs) We'll escape the world someday, but not now. We'll escape the corruption in it now. It doesn't have to imprison us. You'll never fall, as I said, not necessarily never fall down, but don't fall off. And then you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Is there such a thing as a poor welcome? If you're looking for verses, write this one down. 1 Corinthians 3.15. This is where he talks about the judgment seat of Christ, and he says this. Some will be saved, but only as one escaping from the flames. He's talking about saved people at the judgment seat of Christ who just walk through this wall of fire and find that their Christian life was nothing but wood, hay, and stubble as opposed to... Gold, silver, and precious stones. It wasn't substantial. So when he talks about a rich welcome here, that's in contrast to somehow not such a rich one. And then what happens when we don't have these qualities? You're going to be nearsighted and blind. Blind, I was thinking about that. How can you be nearsighted and blind at the same time? You know, I mean, if you're nearsighted, you're not blind, right? But what are you blind to when you're nearsighted? Everything's far away. I wear glasses to drive with, and I'm not entirely blind, but I don't see distances as clearly as I used to, especially at night. And so, especially if I'm in uncharted territory, I need to read the signs and I'm not familiar. But I've noticed this, if I'm in familiar territory, like between here and home, or places that I go all the time, sometimes I'll forget to put my glasses on, I can still see, you know, hazy moving objects in front of me, so it's all good. No, but I I will forget to because I'm not being challenged by anything new. And I think a lot of times Christians are blinder than they realize. Their nearsightedness is worse than they thought it was because they never got out of the context of anything old and into adventurous Christian living. Many Christians don't find that seeking God is a great high priority or uh, learning his word or uh, doing the disciplines because they don't really need their glasses because they're sitting still anyway. They're always in charted territory. And so when he says nearsighted, I think he's saying and blind, blind to what the eternal and blind to what's ever far away. You can see stuff real close here and you think that's okay, but that's not really all there is because there's an eternal perspective that we're supposed to have. Amen. And when he says ineffective and unproductive, let me ask you this. What is an effective Christian? Okay, so an effective Christian is a person who prays unceasingly. Somebody else? Bearing fruit the last. I mean, that's what Jesus said in John 15, yes. Right on. God's love and power working through them. That's an effective Christian, yeah. They're a person of influence. I was thinking, uh, that's great. Uh, I think that's a big part of effective. You're affecting other people. I was thinking about, we're not really, our goal isn't to uh, impress people, but to impact them. Right? As a Christian, do you want to impress your coworkers, or do you want to impact them and be effective in in influencing them toward Christ? Right. So, if you want to be effective, and you don't want to be ineffective, then these attitudes are going to be important for us. And then... Let me ask you another question. What's our part in acquiring them? What's our part in acquiring them? Do you see anything in this passage that indicates a a job that we have? God's got a job. You've got a job. He won't do yours and you can't do his. What's our part? Do you see our part in this? make every effort, apply all diligence is a different version there, yes. Uh, Do you see those things? Uh, Make every effort, add to your faith goodness, possess these qualities in increasing measure, be all the more your, do you see, an increase and, and this is the Christian life. This is, the Christian life isn't a static standstill thing. In fact, like I said, it's like climbing that, that sand dune. You've got to keep moving. And, and not I don't mean by ceaseless effort and straining and spiritual straining. I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about a spiritual nervousness. I'm talking about diligently pursuing the God who diligently pursued us, who lovingly, graciously forgives us and, and empowers us and us doing due diligence on our part to reciprocate love back to him because of this wonderful, gracious relationship that we have uh, with him. And so he says stuff like, make every effort with intense desire. Be all the more eager. By the way, I don't think when he says, add to your faith this and add to this that, I don't think he's talking about rungs on a ladder. I don't think he's talking about climbing up, some hierarchy of spiritual excellence so that you're better than somebody else or that you are, are one of the elite, spiritually elite. The, the Greek word that's here isn't so much ad-like, it's separate, but it kind of grows up out of it. So I have a picture of a, kind of another plant growing up out of a plant and then somehow you know reciprocating life back to the plant from which it grew. And then another plant growing up and reciprocating. And remember, we use that word symbiotic, where these principles, these characteristics, these attitudes, they feed on each other. They need each other. It's not, it's not, they're not separate characteristics. And it's not first grade, second grade, third. Well, in a sense, it is because you're, you're learning something here that you'll take into the next attitude that you'll take into the next and so on. It's a, it's a lifestyle, not so much a, a class that you're taking. Make every effort, and somebody used this this term about uh, Christianity shouldn't be an initial spasm followed by a chronic inertia. (laughs) God's got his part, and we've got our part. He's given us uh, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. He's given us his very great and precious promises, and then he says, add to your faith. Make every effort. Be all the more eager. He's got his part. Now you do your part. It's a cooperative kind of Um, then what are the attitudes themselves? Okay, what's the first one? I don't think faith is the first one. I think it all grows up out of faith. I think faith is the soil for the other seven. Anyway, I think faith is probably the soil and the rest of them grow up out of it. Because, I mean, think about it. What is faith anyway? Is it a, is it a, is it a work? Is it an effort? Is it a skill? Or is it a posture of total dependence? That's what I think faith is. It's a posture of total dependence. Faith isn't saying, I can do this. Faith is, dude, I can't do it, but God can. I, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but faith is a posture of totally turning it over. So I think this, these characteristics, these attitudes grow up out of them. So the first one would be, let's say it together, goodness. King James says virtue, and I, every time I go to uh, read this passage, I always want to say virtue, goodness, arete is a Greek Word, it means excellence. Now, let's talk about excellence a minute. 20 years ago, uh, there, this was a big word in the business world: excellence. We're going to do everything with excellence. And of course, the church is always, oh, you know, 10, 15 years behind the business world. And so we pick up on their terms and their books and read their books. So now we're doing things with excellence, you know? But excellence became kind of the mantra in the church: we've got to do things with excellence. Let me ask you this: if, excellent, if the definition of excellence is doing things right, Because the church, we don't want to do things wrong. But if the definition of excellence is doing things right, what's more important than doing things right? There you go. Doing the right things. Because if you're not doing the right things, it doesn't matter if you do things right. In other words, if you're doing a bad thing right, you're doing something wrong well. (laughs) At least I'm an excellent sinner, right? (laughs) So I'm, I'm into doing things well. I am. I think we should do things well. But if we're not doing the, the well things, if we're not doing the right things, it doesn't matter how excellently you do those other things. So to me, when he talks, that's really what this definition of this word goodness, arete, is, is doing the right things with all your heart. Doing the right things with all your heart. And you find the right things in the book, in the manual on what things are, living well. And then, and then right after that, he says knowledge. Faith that's not rooted in truth isn't really faith. I think when you know what you believe, you'll believe better. I'm, I'm all for knowing what we believe. I think it's really important. If you're a, a new believer, if you've been a Christian for, you know, six months or a year, you're, you're, you know, you're off the hook for knowing a bunch of stuff. But dude, you should be reading God's word so you know stuff. <laughs> not so that you can be a Sunday school quiz queen, but so that you can know who you are and who God is and how he relates so that you can live a productive Christian life. And if you're not a reader, then listen to God's word on tape. If you're, you don't have those resources, then ask somebody to read it to you. Get to know God's word. Do everything you can to know uh, what you believe. It's part of, I think, a Christian attitude of being a constant learner. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. After knowledge... Self-control. Let's, let's pass that one. Let's skip that one, shall we? Uh, let's move on to uh, <laughs> enkratia is the Greek word, and it means inner strength, strength on the inside. See, a lot of times we think of it as being self discipline Okay, it's that wincing, spiritual straining kind of thing that I'm going to just say no, say no, say no, walk into a room, say no, say no. It's not that. It's not a wincing. It's strength where it starts on the inside. That's where he he changes us. So self-control is this resolve on the inside, this power on the inside that gives us a a resolve to say no uh, to sin. It's not just raw self-discipline. What's the next one? Perseverance, hupamane, is the ability to abide under. I'm glad that NIV translated it, Perseverance, because some versions call it patience. But, and that's okay, but it's not strong enough because this word doesn't really just mean, well, I'm, I'm just sitting and just waiting for, you know, whatever happens. I, I, I'm just hanging, hanging. And that's a good quality, but this one means something much more positive and, and forthright than that. Well, it's the same word that is used of Jesus in Hebrews 12 where he says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He had a goal ahead of him, and he was was abiding under while he was uh, waiting for the the joy to manifest itself in our salvation. Somebody said, to start is easy, to stick is difficult. What's the next one? Godliness. Eusebion actually means to worship well. I have a thing about this terminology that was good worship. I don't really like that, good worship, as though there's such a thing as bad worship. Now, there is bad worship, but I don't think you'll find it in a church, you know, in a Christian church. Bad worship being what? The wrong God, you know, all about self. You know, that's bad worship. That's not good, you know. But when we talk about good worship, usually people mean there was a synergy, there was a critical mass, there was I could identify with the music, I could identify with the the tempo, I like the volume, uh, we all got into it. Good worship, bad worship. This word actually means to worship well. And it's more of a character issue. It's more of a posture toward God issue than it is, I liked the music. I liked the length. I liked the volume. You know, somebody's going to take you to, on a trip someplace, and you focus on the vehicle that gets you there. And they're going to take you to Paris, and you come back and you tell all about the plane that you were on. See the Eiffel Tower, you know? We're, worship is all about God. It's not about us and our preferences. So that's enough of that. But well-worshippers are people that are well enough to worship the right God in the right spirit with the right attitude in, in a way that pleases God as the, our audience. Amen? Amen? And so godliness is wor- a worshiper, a person that worships right. And then what's the next one? Brotherly kindness. And you know that word, right? Philadelphia. Phileo is the Greek word for brotherly love. Philadelphia is brotherly kindness. So the city of Philadelphia means brotherly kindness, brotherly love. And it's the, you know, there's these four Greek words in the New Testament, agape, phileo, storge, and eros. Philadelphia means to love people that are just like you to have this cool friendship of like minds where you're with people that you enjoy being with and you have a connection and you enjoy each other's company and have brotherly kindness. So we need to cultivate this kind of thing, right? Brotherly kindness, Philadelphia, right on. And sometimes brothers fight and squabble because they do. And so, but you work it out because you have brotherly kindness, you get along. Right? What's the next one? Love. Agape. That's the other, one of the other Greek words for love in the New Testament. Agape takes it to a whole other level. Brotherly kindness is about you and I have a connection because we both like this together and we're enjoying each other because of our commonality. And that's all good. God blesses that. And that's a cool thing how God makes that happen. But agape means, dude, you and I have nothing in common. In fact... You and I have every reason to not even want to pay attention to each other at all. Sociologically, maybe it's economically, maybe it's uh, spiritually, maybe it's uh, conviction wise, maybe it's ethnically. I, whatever the factor, whatever the barrier, agape climbs up all over those barriers and gets onto the other side and says, dude, even though we have nothing to, no reason besides God to have a, a covenant relationship. I'm totally committed to you without condition. You don't even have to, like, perform. You don't even have to reciprocate it. I'm going to just love you. That's agape. It's different than brotherly love. Brotherly love is cool. I'm all over brotherly kindness. Let's be more kind to our brothers, amen? But how about? That's why it kind of ends. Most of these lists include agape in them, these attitude lists, because that's like the crowning achievement of, of walking with God. I mean, didn't Jesus say it? Love God, love your brother, you're good to go. How could we ever acquire these quickly? How could we ever do that? How can you do that? I can't do that. Let's wrap it up because I'm done. I can't can't do any of those things. I mean, brother in kindness, you know, if you're kind to me, I'm kind to you. It's good to go. You know, I like studying, you know, not very godly or loving or, you know, self-control. I don't have those things naturally. So how am I going to get them? What does the text say? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His very great and precious promises he's given us. This is what the Christian life is. is challenging us beyond our human capacity so we just absolutely need God or we're just not going to achieve it. We just can't do it.